of James. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. God, even as I've expressed some of these plans for our summer, we come knowing, Lord, that your will prevails over all of them. Lord, we turn our hands upward and offer our lives in submission to you to fulfill and accomplish your purposes, which may be revealed in part as we walk through these next weeks and months. Lord, help us to be responsive and yielded to what you want to do. And Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, we recognize that so much of our lives feels like it's in control when really, Lord, it rests in the purposes of your will. Lord, would you humble us today to receive these words, to adjust our lives to the things that we understand and to pursue a life that honors your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I was into kayaking. Any, any kayakers out there? All right. Well, it was not the get exercise on a lake kind of kayaking, uh, but more so the find some rapids and try to navigate them on the river kind. I found the lake kind of boring. The river was moving. There was speed. There were things going on, and I wanted to enjoy that. So in the spring, when the waters would hi were higher, I would meet my friend Jason Pelt uh, at Matt Mott's Run in Fredericksburg, and we, about 6 in the morning, we would usually kayak uh, at least once a week down into Old Town Fredericksburg under the Route 1 bridge. The last portion of that uh, river from about a quarter mile or so to the bridge in the spring at the right time could be really fun and quite challenging when the rapids were moving and the waters were higher. So one morning after having made the run a, a dozen times or so uh, in my life, I, I got caught up on a rock and I found myself sideways at the worst possible moment going through the main rapid. What happened next, as you can imagine, is I was upside down in the river attached to my kayak with that really tight uh, skirt that goes around the hole, uh, you know, holding me onto it, and I'm floating down the river upside down. I had a helmet on, all right? I, did, I was wearing a helmet. But I was upside down in the river fully under the influence of its flow. Now, there's no drama because I'm standing here today seemingly in my right mind. But I realized at that moment that those rapids were stronger than I really expected or even considered sitting on top of them, feeling in control. You know, when you find yourself upside down in a somewhat fast-moving river, you recognize how much the flow of the river really is in charge and how little you really are. 
I was headed wherever the current was going to take me, and I was just trying to make sure I didn't hit anything large or hard. In many ways, this is how James actually wants us to see the will of God in relation to our plans in this passage. We may feel like we have some control while things are going well and we're sitting on the kayak on the top of the river with a paddle feeling like we are in control and can use our paddle to navigate the future. But most of where we are going is really determined by something much larger than us. We feel like our will forms most of what happens in our lives. But the reality of of life is that we are being drawn along in circumstances and purposes that we remain unaware of if we do not acknowledge the massive role God's will plays in our lives. God has purposes in a will that far exceed the power of ours. And so the main idea I think we're going to see in this text as we unpack it this morning is that a wise person, how does a wise person live knowing that God's will has such forceful power? A wise person recognizes the centrality of God's will in planning their life. James wants us to see that as he walks us through this passage by attacking the weakness of our will to shape our future, and acknowledging the centrality of God's. James challenges us not to arrogantly disregard the central role of God's will in navigating our lives. The life of every person is really a result of God's will and a response to God's will. And the sooner we recognize it, the wiser we will be in living. So this morning, we're going to talk about living with God's will in mind. Quite often when we do public events, we have a connection tent, and in in that uh, connection tent, we do surveys and ask people what questions they have uh, about God, about their spiritual life, and almost always, the majority of the people who answer have one particular question that they're concerned with. How do I know God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Questions related to future direction. Am I living according to God's will? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be? These are all really important questions. And and today as we look at this passage, we're going to at least try to get some categories for us to be able to think about how we live our lives in response to the will of God. So listen, since we are talking about God's will quite a lot this morning, I wanted to try to do a little bit of theological work with you before we look closely at the text to give you some categories that will help you think about it uh, from other parts of scripture. R.C. Sproul has this great little article he wrote where he talks about the three classic categories of God's will that we can identify in scripture theologically. So if we can, let's put on our thinking caps a little bit this morning and let me walk us through a little bit of a theological explanation of how to think about God's will. There's three categories we use to think about the will of God that we can see going on in scripture and the distinctions between them could help you make sense of different events you face in life. This becomes most important when we when we face difficult events. So here are the three categories. First there is God's decorative will. God's decorative will, that's not his will of decoration, that's his will of decree. What God in the big picture has planned or purposed. This is God's will of decree. It's the part of God's will that is most hidden to us. Part of reality is that God has plans and purposes that we don't understand. 
It's actually good we don't understand them. For some of us, if we knew what the next year holds, it would be crushing. We wouldn't have the ability to have joy in this moment. For some, it might be so inflating that we would be filled with pride. God knows we don't have the ability to handle the information of his will. What he is able in his wisdom to understand and bring together, we are not able to handle. So we only know a small portion of what God intends for the world and for us, that portion which he has revealed. So God's decorative will, though, is the mysterious yet important way in which God is working all the things out in the world for his ultimate purposes in the grand scheme of things. He will triumph over evil, save sinners in Christ, defeat sin and death, make all things new in creation, and give eternal life to those who have trusted in him. Nothing important to God that he has promised will fail, even though we can't even scratch the surface of all all the things that he is doing or often see how certain difficult events fit into his will. But God has a will and purpose that we don't fully understand or grasp. Deuteronomy 29, 29 helps us see the beginning of these categories. He says, the secret things, that's God's will of decree, God's decorative will. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that he has chosen to withhold from us. That we can't understand. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. You see what he said? He said that God has things that he hasn't yet revealed. He has secret things that are a part of his purposes he has not yet revealed to us. But he also has things that he has revealed that we're responsible for. Those secret things are his decorative will. The second category has already been hinted at in Deuteronomy 29, 29. There is God's preceptive will. So this is the portion of God's will that he has revealed in his instruction to us. This is how we can say we know how to live out the will of God. This is the will of God for this situation. God has instructed us about what to do in it. We don't have to wonder whether it's the Lord's will for us to walk in obedience to things that God has already told us we're to obey. Those things are God's preceptive will. This is the instruction of his will that we've been, has been made known to us. We can know many things about how to live according to the whole of God's will by listening to the instruction of his preceptive will. That's because he's given instruction that is in keeping. So all of God's instruction helps us to respond to the things that we don't know and understand. When we don't know and understand, we wait on the Lord while obeying. While obeying the clear portion of his will and walking forward in obedience, we wait on the Lord to reveal what else it is he is doing in the grand scheme of things that we don't control. That's because God has revealed his preceptive will. Think the word precepts. God has given us precepts and promises, things he has declared and revealed about himself. The secret things belong to to the Lord, but those things which he has revealed belong to us. They're our responsibility to live out and apply and work out in our lives. And then there's a third category when we talk about the will of God. It's God's permissive will. This could be the most challenging for you to understand or think about, but I don't think it's that hard if we don't overthink it. 
Sometimes this is referred to as God's passive will. It's God's permitting of things that seem contrary to his precepts or promises that can only be understood or resolved farther along. Things that God will resolve about why he allowed this to happen. Uh, and, And the permissions along the way. He permits certain things that he doesn't approve. We all live in a world where we know that God's will, his precept of will, is not done in every situation, is it? People don't always obey the commands of God. God permits the small wills, lower W, that we have to make certain decisions and permits things that seem to be at times contrary to his purposes and instruction. He permits those things for a time, but never without also including that permission in the grand scheme of his will of decree. And so God permits things that seem contrary to his preceptive will or promises that will only be understood in eternity. It's a way of saying that God permits people to make decisions that are contrary to his preceptive will, but in so doing has not lost the ability to bring about what he purposes. It's also a way of saying that God at times permits what he does not approve of while still accomplishing through all of that the purposes of his will. We see this in Acts 4. Uh, 27 and 28, when, when the crucifixion of Jesus is described. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Was it wrong for people to hang Jesus on a cross? <laughs> The answer was it dishonored the Son of God. But at the same time, in permitting that, God was accomplishing the bigger purpose of His will in Jesus laying His life down for us on the cross. This is God's permissive will. He accomplishes, even through what He permits, the grand purposes of His saving work. All of these categories... When we're talking about the will of God, we have to consider them. But these these categories simply remind us that God's will is the dominant force in our lives. And living without reference to it is foolish. So let's look further at what the passage shows us. If we're going to live with wisdom in light of God's will then, and God's will plays this massive central role in what actually happens in our life and future, how do we receive this instruction from James as wisdom from God? So, to live with, with wisdom in light of God's will, first of all, number one, we recognize the limitations on our planning. We recognize the limitations on our planning. We see this in verses 13 and 14. That's how he begins. James starts this section of instruction off saying, Come now, which might have as easily been translated, get real. That's what he really is saying. He's saying, get real, you who say tomorrow, I'm going to go to this place for a year, buy and sell and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no way of knowing what you might encounter tomorrow. I want to begin by saying that this passage is not primarily a passage against planning. You know, all throughout the Proverbs, we're told that plans are good, plans are celebrated. But we're also told that many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord orders his steps. 
we're told that God interacts with our plans with an overarching purpose that many times overcomes our will with his own. And, and so we have this, this reality that this is not a passage against planning. He's not saying don't make plans. It's against the arrogance of believing that our wills are the most dominant things at work in determining our future. Really what he's doing is saying, you who think you're just so confidently going to go do this and do that, you know, go for a year's time and you're going to make a profit. How, you know, do you guys remember what it was like to travel before you had a phone? You know, this guy's going to another town. Who knows? That town may be gone. He doesn't even know. He doesn't have a Google update. Before there were phones, listen kids, we couldn't travel anywhere without getting in fights unless we were really sanctified. We had these paper things called atlases and we had to trust our spouses to tell us where to turn. We were confident we could get anywhere in a reasonable time. Now I use the phone to try to get there the fastest. I use my phone coming home from places I know where I am and how to get back just so that I can get the fastest route. Anybody else do that? Okay, thank you. I, I, I was just making sure I'm not crazy. But how confident can we really be? We're going to go do this and that, and we're going to do it for a year, and we're going to make a profit? I mean, I wish I knew a year from now I could do some stuff to make a profit. But I'm pretty sure most of making a profit is doing a bunch of things that you sh- aren't sure are going to work out and hoping that they do. And then somewhere along the way, discovering they maybe didn't, and if you, know, you respond right, you might make a profit. He's talking about the arrogance that we have about what our wills are going to enact. Later in the instruction of verse 15, we'll see that the problem is a type of planning and thinking about our future that doesn't acknowledge what will be revealed by God's unfolding will in time. James is arguing for a view of the world that says, your plans will not be so easily established because you are not the only person willing things. In addition to your own will is the will of many other people around you doing things that will affect the circumstances of your life. On top of that, you have the will of God and his purposes and plans in all the lives around you and his purpose and plans in your life that are doing things to drive us towards good purposes in Christ if we're believers. Despite many times the directions we've established for ourselves. Have you ever found yourself headed in a direction as a Christian, and constantly running into a wall and discovering later that God was directing you into something better. This is what God does. Ultimately, this all falls under the heading of God's unfolding will of decree. The point is, we don't know the future, and the biggest thing we don't know is what God may be using His massive will to accomplish and how our lives fit into it. Foolish people make plans without thinking about the fact that they have little control over the conditions of the next day, let alone the next week or year. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I could illustrate this with a thousand things, couldn't I? That we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Let me use an example from the life of Pillar Church. The Pillar Church Building Project. How many of you wish you could just have an update on whether our building project is coming along? Me too. Me too. I wish I had a really good one for you. In 2018, leading up to that, we established a plan with the developer 
to develop a seven-acre piece of land in Dumfries up on the hill above Jimmy T's. So if you don't know that, that might, that's important for this illustration. Uh, um, it was going to be a, the plan is still for a multi-use development that includes on the seven acres 125 apartments for 55 plus afford, senior affordable living. Apartment building on one side in, in conjunction with a developer and on the other side a community center that would become our home where we would meet as a church in that building. So about an 18,000 square foot facility on the far side with shared parking and all of that up on the hill. Great idea it seemed. Um, we got conditional approval from the town council, and we were working with the building and zoning administrator. This was in 2018 to finalize everything. Just when we were ready to drop the official papers, we found out that the building administrator we worked with had stopped working for the town, and a new person had come in. I mean like the week we were filing the papers. That person didn't look favorably on the project, and everything changed. For two and a half years, we worked with that person to try and get the project ready to actually start. Then all of a sudden, one day, he was gone. Gone from the project, gone from working at the town. This kind of stuff happens. People change jobs. And a new person came along who was favorable. The whole time, people are asking, asking regularly, when are we going to build? And I'm like, we're working on it. We're working on the project. I thought we would have been done. I thought we'd be there today. Well, then in January 2022, if you were here, we finally got full approval of the site plan and the zoning for the project with all the zoning and rights, and we were excited. I went on an eight-week sabbatical, expected to come back, funding the project, figuring out maybe we'd be, you know, putting shovel in the dirt at the end of the year. And as you know, we have not done that. Over the next month, as we were pre preparing to file for permits, the war in Ukraine began. The, re the result of, there was economic uncertainty. Materials and supply costs skyrocketed, and interest rates took off. You remember that? I mean, we're still, we got like really high interest rates. The funding mechanism for building the affordable housing, was a government funding mechanism, was paused and still has not been resumed and probably will be resumed later this year, we hope. Right? So, are you guys, you guys see what my point here? Like, boldly, back in 2018, I was with somebody who was like, yeah, next week we're filing papers, we're building a building, this is going to be great. And it's 2023. That's five years. That's like four churches here at Pillar. <laughs> and uh, so that's where we're at right now. You know, and they ask the question, what do we do? How do you respond to that? You either go, oh, the Lord's shutting it down. I mean, maybe he is. We don't know that. We certainly have permission to continue to try to make it happen and all the reason to think that it would be a good thing to do. But at, at different turns, God has chosen certainly to delay it. All for God's good purposes. And the whole time, I've, the one thing I've said is, this is all in God's hands. He knows what's good for us. And so, you know, the moral of this story is simple. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we already knew that because we went through 2020, right? I mean, just think about those seniors that were getting ready to graduate from high school in 2020 when COVID hit. They thought they knew what their next four years was going to look like, and here we are. I mean, things change. 
We don't know what tomorrow will bring. James says this is an occasion for getting our perspective right in relation to our lives and God's will. He asked a question then in verse 14 in the middle, what is your life? <laughs> like if, this is, if we're this much subject to God and his will, what is your life? It's an important question, isn't it? Well, here in context, James is asking it as a comparison. What is your life in, in comparison to the large, unforeseen circumstances of God's will and purposes yet to be revealed? How does it compare? God created the world of his own will from the beginning. That's big. He purposed your life in the midst of it. And long after our brief moment of time, God will be bringing about the purposes of his will. The purpose of life in general does not revolve around you or your desires, me or my desires, us or our desires, but his. His will is what prevails. But don't take my word for it. James answers this question of comparison by saying, our lives are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, he wants us to get our perspective right about what we're doing here. And I thought of a way to do that. You know, it's like we often think our will is so important. And recently, one of my ch children just said, hey, can you order this thing for me on Amazon? I was like, sure. And, uh, you know, we didn't have AC for a little while because we had some problems. And they, she needed to, you know, keep herself cool. And uh, can you all see that up here? You know, you can imagine how this might be applicable given what we're talking about here. And, and, you know, as we sit here through the sermon, you know, we can compare the time, you know, of the sermon or our time being here together with how long that lasts, right? And it seems short. Just a moment. Some mist in the air. It looks better, I think, when the fan's going, Gracie. You know, get a little extra. It feels like it pushes it out there a little longer. We can prolong it a little bit. That's short in the span of this time, of worship this morning. But, but what James says is our lives and their will, they have about this much effect. You know, you think about the power of that water we were talking about in the kayak, you know. That, that massive water, water has incredible power. The flow of it can push us down the river, but this does not have much power. I, I thought about bringing uh, one of my kids up and trying to spray them off the stage. You know, like, let's see how much power this has. But it's just a mist, isn't it? Uh, how much effect is that going to have on anything? And James says, we, we think we're so powerful. We think what we do controls so many things. But before God, we're just a mist. And the scope of God's will and God's purposes that he invites us into, our decisions are like that. Can you imagine a lifetime full of decisions that you've labored over? You've wondered about, you've wrestled with. It's not that they're unimportant. But just, you know what's way more important? What God is doing. How our lives fit into that. And we see those decisions, they're all right there. Captured in all of that. James says, what is your life? Now, if you really want control, and think you have the ability to control, and you're so wise, that's, that's bothersome. But I want to tell you, this is good news. This is good news because... The God whose will prevails is a God who loves us infinitely. Has better purposes for you than the ones that you have for yourself. 
And when we come to him and entrust ourselves to him, we become a part of a much better will and purpose than the one that we can work out as a mist in our life. And then most of our life becomes responding to him. Responding to what God is doing and what God has instructed. You see, the second thing we see here is that really the way to respond is that we ready ourselves to respond to unforeseen challenges. Let's look now at the positive instruction of verse 15 in the text. James gives us an alternative to our planning without reference to God's will. Notice the word instead. What should we do instead? Well, James says that instead we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. You see that there? Verse 15. Before we go further, let me just address a quick bit of foolishness that may come out of this verse. When he says we should say this, he doesn't mean we just attach it to the front of our plans, our plans, and sort of clunk up our language always saying, I'm going to the grocery store if the Lord wills. I'm going to brush my teeth if the Lord wills. That's not what he's really getting at, although it may be helpful for some of you to to do that just to remember He's speaking in regards to the planning of our life. And when we have the right perspective, this is what it looks like. The reality of God's will should be always before our minds. There should be a readiness to recognize that we've encountered some events that we have not anticipated and may need to respond well to them in accordance with what we know to be God's will. You see, this is about how we make and hold our plans. We make them with a sort of humility that acknowledges circumstances may reveal to us more of what God is up to and require us to adjust ourselves to Him in really important ways. Here's how this looks practically. I make plans that prioritize the things I know to be good and godly. There's freedom to do so as best as we understand. I avoid those things that are clearly contrary to God's instruction, his will, and I submit myself to his instruction. I use his preceptive will and revealed word as a guide to my life. Then I acknowledge and prepare my heart with a recognition that circumstances lie ahead that may reveal some portion of God's decree or permissive will that require me to make adjustments and acknowledge that I'm his servant and not the opposite. This is how we are to hold our plans. It requires a sort of constant seeking the Lord by faith to trust Him. Not for the future I want, but the one He is gloriously revealing. God has plans and purposes that I'm trusting in that are better than mine. They just have a longer timeline. And so we prepare ourselves to say, if the Lord wills, I'll go do this thing, but I may discover down the road that based on what's going on, that God has something else in mind. And I become yielded to seek him, to to join the community of believers and pray for direction in that. Ask his word to reveal how I can respond. And I recognize that I need to hold all of my plans loosely. I need to hold my hopes and my dreams, my aspirations loosely because God may have something different. Now this can be extremely hard. Some of the hardest things that we do. I and many others here are in an intense season of this sort of responding to God. You know, we began 2023 with one set of plans and aspirations for the next season. With the passing of Pastor Clint on January 12th, we found ourselves in a very different set of circumstances. 
And that's hard. Here's how this passage helps us to respond. I don't know the mystery of God's will, of decree. How to answer what its purposes are for the loss of people that are close to us. They belong to the mystery of God's will yet to be revealed. We believe from Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to purposes. And we rest in them, but we rest in those things with sorrow and difficulty and a sense of faith. We don't always know what that looks like. I also know that in a fallen world, God permits certain things in the accomplishing of his will that are difficult to accept. Many of you have situations in your life that have been difficult for you to reckon with and you don't yet understand them. And I know that as a pastor and as a person, I've experienced those myself and I've experienced them with many of you. But we do know farther along, God has plans and purposes. We know that he promises and has revealed to us in his precepts that God doesn't waste anything. I also know that he's given us instruction about how to trust him and wait and respond and at times by faith submit to the reality of his will. Submitting to the reality of his will means being obedient with what we understand and still showing up and caring for the people around us. Still living for his good purposes. Still working together to make his love plain in the world. Accepting the hard realities of change and disappointment and sorrow. And then shaping our lives to continue to honor him because he is worthy of our devotion. And the ultimate fruit of his will is good. We trust him by faith. This is what it means to live by faith as God reveals his will. Here's what I know. I may not understand how God's will works and all of the details of what happens in life. But I do know that it is God's will for me to navigate this season with a recognition that his grace is sufficient. In whatever season you're facing, it's God's will for you to navigate that season with a confidence. His grace is sufficient for you to accomplish his purposes for you, not your own. With this instruction in place, James issues a strong warning, and we're going to sort of take this warning in an application as we close. The first, the, we have the warning. We must reckon with the problem of our own arrogance. If we're going to respond this way to God, we have to reckon with this problem that we have, which is we, we struggle with arrogance. James, in verse 16, brings us back to the beginning state of the passage, and he says, living without reference to God and his will is a matter of boastful arrogance, and he says all such boasting is evil. To ignore God is to think that we matter too much. It's evil, James says. What would it take for you to stop ignoring God's will in your life? There's some of you here who, your barrier to becoming a Christian is is acknowledging that God has purposes for your life that, that you don't want. God has instructions about what's moral and good that you don't agree with. And it would mean a yieldedness to know that God is infinitely wise and good. What would it take for you to stop ignoring that and submit your life to him? Initially, it may take some humility to stop for a moment here and now and listen to what God uses his will to do. Let's listen to what God uses his will to do. God saw that we had sinned and used our own wills to live contrary to his, and it was destructive. This is the essence of sin. All of us have done it. 
in God's kindness and grace, while we convinced ourselves God's will is not good for us, God used His will to put into motion His plan of salvation. It was God's will to send His divine Son into the world to take on flesh and dwell among us in the person of Jesus for Him to live a sinless life and become our sacrifice for sin on the cross. It was God's will to allow His Son Jesus to bear the cost of our sins and the justice we deserve for our sin on the cross so that we would not have to. That is what God accomplished with His will. Together, God the Father and God the Son made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven at the cross and showed that God has a glorious future purpose for us by his will through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that says this is the new creation and hope that God's will is pointing to and bringing about. God uses his will to bring about genuine new life in the deadness of sin. It is God's will that you should not perish in your sin and face judgment when you die, but receive His grace today and be saved by faith in this promise. And the truth is, you have no power of your own will to save yourself. But today, by simply acknowledging that God has done this for you, despite the weakness of your will, you can receive His promised salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. And submit your will to His. This free gift of salvation is offered so simply and freely today to you by God. It's a wonder that any person here wouldn't receive it with joy. Except that you may have convinced yourself you know what God is really like by your own interpretation of His will. You know God's mysteries. You know why He allowed this or that to happen in your life and you're never going to draw near to a God who would do that, who would let that happen. See, what you've done is you've gone into the secret things of God and you have wrongfully judged what you do not understand. And he says this kind of arrogance that, that, that puts our will above God's, our wisdom above God's, is a damning sort of arrogance. It puts us in grave danger of being cut off finally and fully from the good purposes of God's will. So, he invites us and says, today, he warns us against this evil arrogance and says, today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you do not, you have never put your faith in Christ and received the forgiveness of God, the promise of his grace, eternal life as a free gift from him, let's be reminded what James has already said, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Today is the day to respond to this good news and trust it by faith and begin walking with God in His will by faith. Well, the final application for today is seen in the last verse. We reprioritize the things we know are right. You know, verse 17 feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere. He says, so, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me explain what he's doing. Here's what I believe to be the strongest application of the sort of thinking we've seen so far, where we recognize our wills are small, God's will is big, and he's revealed some things to us already. He's already given us instruction, and he's also worked through your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to help you see some things that you know are your assignments from God, the things that you need to be doing. And so what does he say? He says, get about the most important business in your life before God now. 
To know what is good and not to do it, he says, is sin. In contrast to the beginning of the verse that says, before I get on with what I know God has given me to do, I'm going to go, I'm going to make some money for a while. I'm going to go down here for a year and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make some money and come back and then when I'm done, I'm going to go ahead and get to the things that I think God really wants me to do. And and all the time, this is the way people react to God's will. They got a sense that there's some urgent things in their life that they need to do, but, but it's in contrast to some other things that they would prefer to do. And he says here, God has given us some instructions about what matter in life. We're to wrestle with those things and to be about that business, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And so he says, we know these good things and we are to prioritize in our life the carrying out of obedience to the things that matter most to God. Now, I don't know what that is for you. We all have different stations in life and assignments but it's important that we prioritize knowing and understanding what it looks like. Neglecting something that you know God has given for you to do in order to go for a year somewhere else to make money before you get to it, that's a bad idea. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Today is the day for salvation and today is the day of obedience before God in all the things that you know that God has given you to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for the wisdom from your word. We ask that as we we consider these things and hold them in front of us, Lord, that you would give us clarity about how to respond. Lord, I pray for the person right now, Lord, who has never put their faith and trust in Christ, who doesn't know where their relationship stands before you, that having heard of your gracious will to save them, Lord, that right now you would You would stir them up by your spirit to call upon you for salvation, that they would call upon you in repentance of their sin and trust you fully today. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have wrestled with some difficult aspect of your will, something they have not understood. It's not yet resolved for them. That's painful. Lord, I pray that your comfort would abide with them as they wait. Lord, that you would strengthen them to respond to this divine and holy moment in their life by relying on your grace, coming to your throne of mercy, finding out that Jesus, our great high priest, has all the mercy we need in times of need and that the Spirit is a true comforter. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just speak to them and touch them now. Lord, for the person who you've placed a calling in their life, Lord, who knows that you've assigned them to do something that's a matter of priority, of urgency, Lord, I pray that today we'd be a people who wouldn't delay. Lord, when we know the good thing to do, we would set our hearts about doing it. Lord, that's that's how we want our church to be marked as a people who want to submit our wills to your will, who rejoice in it, who take joy in knowing that your will that prevails is good and it's better than ours. Because, Lord, your your love is so powerful for us. And so, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.